We've set it up on this format of 12 weeks and it really makes it tight, but the flip side of that is that we get more classes in. So um, really puts it on us to really be concise. <clears throat> and sometimes uh, that doesn't happen, <laughs> uh, as we all know. I did want to end uh, and just briefly go back over page 27. Uh, we were talking about God allows opposition to his will. And so that's something to really consider. And so it's not just from um, unsaved and it's not just from and we, we saw spirit beings and other people. Uh, but also uh, you can see it from believers as well. And we'll see that. And so <clears throat> and you, you just see an example of it. And um, well, let's look at uh, Acts, the fourth chapter in verse 28 through 29. I did want to show you that. And we talked about this last week and that uh, the um, crucifixion of the son. So we, we had talked about it in the decree earlier that God had uh, decreed that uh, the son would be the slain lamb before the foundation of the earth. And I just wanted to show you this scripture to add to what we had talked about before about this opposition issue. And so, you know, God knew that the son, this would happen to the son and it was all planned out. It was not a surprise to him at all. And so you can see it in Acts, the fourth chapter. Now notice in verse uh, 28, go back a little bit. And so this is after they're, they're being persecuted for the healing of the um, lame man at the uh, gate, gate Beautiful in chapter 3. And so they're uh, being forced and threatened not to do this and not to speak in the name of the Lord Jesus and so notice in verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because the people uh, of the people for all men glorified God for the thing that which which was done for the man was above 40 years old of whom the miracle of healing was showed and being let go. They went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou had appointed. Be, uh, both Herod, excuse me, whom thou had anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Now, we, we do make a we want to say it at this point because you say, well, yeah, the Jews, they they were the ones that were responsible for the death of Christ. But you see that there's a lot of other actors here, too. Uh, the Gentiles had a role in it as well. You and I had a role in it as well. Now, notice he goes on to say, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So it wasn't like when they were doing this that the father said, Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? They're getting ready to put the son to death. What are we going to do? Are you kidding? This is exactly what he had allowed to happen. You see, so he allows opposition to his will. And what's interesting is how he uses this opposition to his will to accomplish other things that he wants to accomplish in the decree. And so you could see it even in your life and my life. You, you and I might say, I'm not going to do that. I don't care what God says. I'm not going to do it. And God says, OK, nut. if you don't want to do it this way, we'll do it this way. We'll take your route. Well, you see that really with the Apostle Paul, don't you? 
in which he was determined, and let's look at that, because something happens here in the 21st chapter that we, of Acts, we can really see that he shouldn't, I don't think he should have gone to Jerusalem. And the reason that I, I will say that is because we have scripture here in the first part of the 21st chapter that tells us um, that he was uh, told by the Holy Spirit not to go. And so he ends up going, um, and uh, notice if you get down to verse 14 is where we want to, want to go. And so he was told by the Holy Spirit not to go, uh, as the Holy Spirit used certain ones. Um, let, let's go back just to, so you can see, see that in, in Acts 21 uh, and verse um, Let's pick it up in verse 3. Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it, uh, left it on the left side. And so this is Dr. Luke who was giving his commentary of what was happening um, during this time. And, he sailed in, and we sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was um, to unlaid her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul, now notice, through the Spirit. They're not just sitting up talking, saying, Paul, I don't think you should do this. And this is why I really think when it comes to believers, this idea of submitting to other believers, and we'll see it in Ephesians. God could use other believers sometimes, in, in many ways, not a lot of times, to say things to you. And if you're carnal, and you say, you can't tell me what to do. Get away from me. Well, you could be writing your own destiny. And you have believers who don't believe that anyone can tell them anything, right? You can't tell me what to do. Okay. Just saying. Now, here's what happened with Paul. I don't believe he should have gone. Now, God used the circumstances that Paul bought on himself. He says, okay, you don't want to do it this way? We'll do it this way. But God's will was done. I guarantee you that. And so notice You see it here in verse 4. And finding certain disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Right? They said, don't go. Now notice Paul's response. Now Paul, (laughs) you know, he's got this thing and and he's got his own schedule of what he's trying to accomplish. And notice what happened. just Just to boot... Uh, the Lord sent another person to tell him what was going to happen to him when he when he did go to Jerusalem. Verse eight. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea and we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, which was one of the seven. And he and, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and he bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus said the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind a man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So now he was told by the disciples not to go. No, the Holy Spirit is using Agabus to tell him this is what's going to happen to you. Now notice what Paul says here. Very noble thing to say, but, you know, if it's not God's will, why do it? Sounds very noble the way that he said it, and we can do that. But notice what happens here, verse 12. And when they heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. 
verse 13, Then Paul answered, Why mean ye to weep and break mine heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, uh, to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem. Okay, uh, you know, maybe it's not God's will for you to die there, Paul. He's ready to do that. Okay, and so notice what happens here. For the name, for the name of the Lord Jesus, and when notice, and this is the thing that I wanted to get to. And when he would not be persuaded, have you ever done that to someone? Talking to another believer saying, man, I just don't believe that you, you ought to do this. They ask you your opinion or they tell you, oh, I don't think you should do this. And they're bound and determined. I've talked to if I had a dollar for every person I've talked to this way, I'd probably be rich. And you have people who are bound and determined and they're going to do it their way. And no matter what you say from Scripture, no matter what you show them, they're going to do it. You say, OK. And notice what happens here. And they said. And when they, he would not be persuaded, we cease and desist it. Really, it's uh, the ideal there is uh, to cease and desist. Is that word for excuion? It's to, to, to cease from agitation and said, the will of the Lord be done. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And it happened the way that the Lord allowed it to happen, right? And you go or later on in this chapter and you see what happens. Paul goes into Jerusalem and these uh, Jews from Asia, these Jews from Asia, which has been had been given him a hard time. What did they do? They lied. It's interesting when you see that. Look over in that, later on in the chapter. He goes in there. It's just almost fascinating to me how you see on a consistent basis that a lot of persecution is um, um, preceded by a lie. And that would make sense, right? Because Satan is behind a lot of the persecution. So someone will tell a lie and then it leads to some kind of trouble for the believer. And so notice uh, James tells him and talks him into doing this vow and he goes and do it and he takes this vow. And don't notice in verse 26, Paul took the men and the next day purifying himself. He entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against uh, the people and the, and the law and this place and have further brought Greeks into the temple and have polluted this holy place. <laughs> this causes all kinds of confusion. And so here we go. And so the trouble that was promised of Paul, um, it actually reached fruition. And so there are some points where you have people who are in opposition to doing what God's will is. And sometimes God will use people to say to someone, hey, don't do this. Hey, you ought not to do this. And they're going to they're bound to determine they're going to do it. And you say, oh, well, I can't stop you. You know, I'm not I can't put handcuffs on you. What are you going to do? And so uh, you have that happen. Now, notice you can also see that the believer can live in opposition to the will of God. You and I can live in opposition to the will of God, and there's a lot of believers that do it. So notice what he says in James. In the book of James, in chapter 4, what you're going to see is that you and I can be in opposition to the will of God. And the moment that we do something that is in opposition to that, you have sinned. It's pretty clear to see that. So notice in James, the fourth chapter. 
And just think how, how much this happens to a lot of believers. Um, and, and I would suppose that they, a lot of believers are ignorant of the will of God. And maybe that's, that's a, it's, it's, it's not a good thing because I, I just think that it renders you um, to not be all you could be for the Lord in this life. You know, so a lot of people think, ah, oh, the will of God, will of God, smell of God, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to do what I want to do in this life. And just, that's just sad to me. It's just really sad. Because I think about what if we didn't do the God's will, me and Joyce, I wouldn't know you guys. What if we just said that we're going to stay in Oklahoma? I wouldn't know most of you guys sitting here. Isn't that a sad thing? Do you not know what it is that you, you probably don't even have the potential to know the possibilities of what God will do in your life? It's beyond our comp- comprehension to even know. But we're confident that we know what is best for us. And it's just really interesting. And so here you find James and and James, these are the believers that are suffering as a result of the persecution that came as a result of um, um, James, the brother of John, being killed in the 12th chapter of Acts. And so these people were living and they were having some trouble. And James writes to them to notice the, one of the, the problems was as they were trying, they were they were focused on doing their own will. And so you can see that in the, f- the first part of this chapter. And notice in verse four, they were having problems. He says, whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lust that you war and your that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire you had to have and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you have not because you ask not. And you ask and receive not because you ask, what a miss there is, you ask evilly. Why? So that you can consume them on your own lust. And so really it's, um, I think there it's that you might spend it on your own pleasures. And so you adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? It's an interesting thing because if I'm in the will of God, I can ask according to God's will. As I'm loving the brother and God, brethren, and God's going to provide for it. So why do I have to fight for stuff? Why do I have to strive to get stuff done? It's, it's not even necessary. So these people would not even ask God because of their motivation for asking. They knew what God's going to say no. And so they won't ask God, but the end result is they got all of this stuff going on. And how many believers do you see that are just frustrated in life? They're frustrated. And you know, at the end of their frustration, they have their will and there's God's will and never should the two intertwine. And they're just trying to get their will done. Do you realize the pressure you bring on yourself when it's your will and all I want to do is my will? You're just bringing all, told, all, all kinds of pressure on yourself. And the believers sitting there and they're bucking up. I'm going to get it done. I'm a self-made person. I'm going to do it my way. You know, the old Frank Sinatra song. <laughs> Just, you know, old blue eyes. <laughs> That's what people come down to. They're, I'm going to do it my way, the way I want it done. And it just gets really nasty. 
I see believers and they're like a, uh, a boxer in a prize fight in the 12th round and they're just rope-a-doping it. <laughs> Looks like they're going down for the count and you just want to say, give it up. Won't you give it up? And they won't. They're still standing in there. I'm still in the fight. No throw in the towel. And you say, you're getting, you're getting obliterated. <laughs> they still fight. It's crazy. Notice in the 13th verse of James chapter 44. Go ye now, ye, say, ye that say today or, or tomorrow, we will go into such city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you don't know what shall be of tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For you ought to say, and here's Miss J's famous statement. She's got everybody saying it now. If the will of the Lord be so, right? If the Lord will, we shall do this or that. Now, Jeanette adds, and if the creeks don't rise, I don't, that's not in scripture. That, I don't even think there's a textual problem there. <laughs> <laughs> but if the Lord will, we will do this or th- that. But now you rejoice in your boastings and all such boastings is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do the good and does it not, to him it is sin. So somebody says, ah, you see sin in your mind. No, you're not doing something here. When I just give you an example. If I knew that it was God's will for us to come to Florida and I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay right here in Oklahoma and I start operating like I'm doing, uh, like I'm going to operate and that's God's will. At the moment that I did that, I sinned. This is how serious this is. But most believers, "Ah, will of God, smell of God, I don't care. (laughs) Long as I get my way. Long as I get what I want. Many believers are operating as if God has no plan or purpose for their life whatsoever. And it's it's just and you can just see it in their lives that they are being tormented and much of the torment they're bringing on themselves. And it's just it's really one of the saddest things to see. In this life. It's just it's just really sad to see. And so you can see that in this opposition that there's a God allows opposition to his will, even from believers. That he allows opposition now, if you were doing something where well, you go to your job. Right. And I don't I would doubt very seriously that your boss allows opposition to what they want you to do. Right. I know when we were at FedEx, they didn't allow opposition. You will do it or you will be fired. <laughs> was that kind of thing? <laughs> no. And so God allows that, though. Notice God uses participants to help execute his will. And so we looked at the idea of spirit beings. And so Job is probably the best place to see that. If you, if you go to Job chapter one and you see this issue of these uh, spirit beings who are, who are aligned and and they are presenting themselves before God to uh, get their um, uh, assignments. And so in the book of Job in chapter one, you see this. And I, I didn't put it in your <coughs> your outline, but you have it here in uh, Job chapter one. And notice in verse five, 
And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about and Job uh, sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and have even have cursed God in, uh, already by their hearts. Uh, thus did Job continually. Now there, there, there came a day, uh, was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves and that word present is to stand in order. And so here you have the armies of heaven who are still subjected to God. And, and you know, we've seen it before. And for those who remember in Second Chronicles, it's really one of the best places to see it, right? You have this demon. It, it's, <laughs> Ahab's time is in, the, in the book of the living is coming up. And God says, who's going to convince Ahab to go to Ramoth Gilead? His time is coming. And you have one, uh, one spirit being say this, and a demon says this, and the demon says, I know, I'll go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Now you just think about that. That's one of the best behind the scenes insights that we see in scripture about how this comes down. And so Ahab doesn't know what's happening. He thinks that he's in control of things. He even goes out and disguises himself just to make sure that he makes it back. Wasn't his day. <laughs> Didn't make it back. And, and that happens. And so here you see Satan, these, these spirit beings, um, uh, they present themselves to get their orders. So you have good um, angels on one side and the bad on the other. And the Lord and the Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, whence come you? And he answered, going to and fro and from the earth and walking around therein. And so uh, God uses spirit beings. Um, angels are used to accomplish God's purpose. Some were used to minister to Christ during his earthly ministry. God uses believers in various dispensations to accomplish his will. You know, it's interesting as you look through scripture, you see some of this. Some of this you can look over. Uh, so you can see that God used those uh, circumstances in the Old Testament to direct believers into doing his will. Old Testament saints like Moses and Gideon stand as an example of men called by God to do his will who were wary uh, that they could accomplish God's purpose for them. Moses lamented that he could not speak properly and therefore could not lead the nation of Israel out of bondage. While Gideon wasn't sure that he was capable uh, enough to lead Israel into battle, God, however, provided the means for both men to do his will. Now notice in Acts, the 13th chapter, we see a good commentary on David. Um, I don't think that you see this insight uh, that you see here anywhere else in Scripture. It's just interesting what it said here about David in Acts, the 13th chapter, and verse um, 36. So you have two different commentaries running through um, Acts in the 7th chapter and in the 13th. Uh, Paul does an excellent job of giving a more brief commentary of the nation of Israel and how God was working with them. Uh, but notice, and I think it's in the... The thirteen, uh, the thirty-sixth verse, and so let's go back a little bit. <clears throat> and he's talking here at the church of Antioch, of Pisidia. <clears throat> excuse me, verse 30, 28. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Gal Galilee to Jerusalem, 
who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings of how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he has raised Jesus again, as it is said also written in the second Psalm, thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he said also in another Psalm, thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his generation by the will of God, fell on to sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. You know, it's interesting that word that he had served his generation is actually the word hupertase. You know what a hupertase is? It's an underroar, right? So as they were, used to come over on the ships, they'd have someone that was setting the pace as they rode. And that's what's fascinating here is the use of this word for David and how it said that he was in, the time, in his time was used by God to set the pace for uh, some things. So then you see Moses, you see Noah uh, accomplishing God's will, doing the gospel, uh, you see some things doing the, uh, that doing the de- desirous will of the Father was necessary to enter into the kingdom from the heavens. Notice in Matthew seven twenty one. Now, this is an interesting distinction that you want to make here, because you have people today that are not doing the will of God who are believers. Now, if you said that this is for today, I guess I suppose these people won't make it to heaven, right? You take a carnal believer who is outside the will of God, they wouldn't make it. If this was for today, notice in Matthew 7, verse 21. And obviously this is looking at um, in the future um, with the eye on the millennial kingdom. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom from the heavens. But he that does the desirous will of my father, which is in heaven. And so. Here, I believe this is on standing on the outside of the millennial kingdom. And so as the Lord comes, many are going to say to him, uh, notice in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonder works? Then I will profess to them, I never knew you depart from me, you that work iniquity. Now, let's just say that you made this for today. Now, there's a lot of believers who are not doing the will of God, but this is not going to be their destiny. I do, I do think that this is talking about in the millennial kingdom or on the, uh, this side of the millennial kingdom during the tribulation period. Now, there's a lot of people who are outside of the will of God that God probably ends up chastening. For sure. But they're still in the body of Christ. And so this is why we really make that distinction about the difference between the Gospels and the epistles. The desirous will of the Father in the Gospels was that which was seen of the, uh, uh, was that uh, those seeing the Son and believing into him would have eternal life. And so notice John, the sixth chapter in verse 40. You know, John chapter six is a really interesting chapter. It's just really fascinating. Some of the things that are said here and uh, hey, you tell some of these unsaved people or these new believers to read John and uh, it's, a, it's the easiest uh, uh, gospel for them to read. I've been studying the Bible for 20-something years, and it's still hard for me to understand <laughs> some of the stuff in John. I don't know how some of the, the uh, new believers are going to understand it. It's just not. It's a really, really tough book uh, at times. And so notice here in John, the sixth chapter, 
and notice he says, uh, in verse 37, let's pick it up there. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and, and him that comes to me I will in no way, in no wise cast out. Now, it's interesting to note distinctions here that you see in the, in the Gospel of John. One of the things is that the Father had a more immediate role in those who came to the Son. And so he was the one that opened the eyes of people to be able to see. Now, who does that today? The Holy Spirit does. That's a huge distinction. And so people say, ah, yeah, what, what difference does it make? Well, I don't really know what difference does it make, but it must make a difference or it wouldn't be there, right? Now, I can't tell you exactly what the difference is, but I can tell you that the Father was the one that did it. And so the reason that he's doing it is that he's manifesting for something that's completely different than what he's doing in this dispensation. And so notice in verse 39, and this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all of which he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. Now, I believe here he's talking about that those who believed during the son's earthly ministry, they had this promise that they were going to be raised in the last day. You see that talked about in um, over in uh, <clears throat> John, the 11th chapter uh, and the prospects that there was going to be this resurrection in the last day. <clears throat> But what ended up happening is because uh, the plan changed, they were uh, transitioned into this dispensation of grace. Notice in verse 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the son and believes on him may have eternal life. And I will raise him up in the last day. And so this is how God was working during this dispensation. And there was the prospect that those who believed that there was the they were going to have that uh, resurrection that was going to occur at the last day. And uh, we know that that uh, changed as a result of Israel's uh, rejection. He would hear those who did his desirous will in John 9 and verse 31. John 9 and verse 31. And so in John chapter 9, you have the blind man. This is probably, I, I think there's in, um, not intentional humor in the Bible, but I get a lot of chuckles out of this chapter 9 <laughs> myself. So here you have this guy who was blind. And so he's healed. And then the Pharisees don't believe it. And so they call his parents. His parents don't want to admit that it's their son because they don't want to be put out of the temple. And they'd already said anybody who would admit that this guy was uh, more than what he was, that they were going to be put out of the temple. So verse 23 says, his parents says, he's of age, ask him. He'll tell you. And, and then they go on and they, they belabor the point. Uh, and so here they ask the blind man, uh, verse 25, he answered and said, whether he be, uh, let's start with verse 24. Then again, he called the uh, the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, what did he do to, to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you did not hear. 
Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? <laughs> this just gets their goat. I mean, just think about it. You got these highfalutin guys. Now notice what they say to him. And this gives you insight into their thought process here. Then they reviled him and say, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that Moses spoke unto, uh, God spoke unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. And the man answered and said unto them, well, herein is a marvelous thing, that you know not from whence he is, and yet he opened mine eyes. Now we know that God hears not sinners, but if a man be a worshiper of God, or really a God-fearer, and does his will, him he hears. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, or out from God, he, he he could do nothing. And they answered unto him and says, Thou was altogether born in sin, and dost thou teach us? I hope we have, we never get to that point here. Wait, I can just see it. Lynn coming to me and trying to say, well, Kevin, I, I think you're wrong on that one. You were born in sin, Lynn. How will you teach me? That's kind of the kind of attitude that was there, you know. And so notice if now this is the unsa- the, uh, the, the, uh, the blind man who was saying this, that the worshiper of God, that uh, those who hear him uh, and do his will, that he would, he would, those he hears. Uh, God supplies the grace believer today means to do his desirous will. He has given the church spiritual gifts, uh, his word, uh, he has, uh, and his son, so that the grace believer will be adjusted to do the father's will. Now, there's a lot of things that we talk about, about how the, the uh, God uh, does that. And some of that's we're going to repeat. So we'll jump across that. One of the things I did, we can point it out as we go, that the God, uh, Grace believers can discern the will of God. That's something that's uh, totally different, that we can be led by the Holy Spirit to do God's will. Um, believers can have solace in the will of God, they have the potential to stand mature in the will of God. Uh, believers can be uh, perfected to do God's will. Uh, and so those are the uh, main points there. And then uh, the last one on page 35, that God provides peace for the believer in doing his will. Now notice the knowledge of God's will is available and essential for believers to know. And so God has not put something here that he's done. So here in eternity past, he 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 formatted or he, he uh, um, uh, initiated the decree. But he's allowed over time others to participate in it. Now you come to this dispensation and we have more insight into what God is doing than any other group of people ever. What's funny is that we have more insight into what God is doing. And what he and how we are we fit into it, but I don't know that we have the have more desire. I mean, I don't know that we are actually uh, more effective because of it. It's ironic, and I think that you know you go back to what God is demonstrating in this dispensation, that God is demonstrating that when you provide people grace, what will they do with it? Well, in every other dispensation, what God has provided, people have looked at it with contempt. They've chosen something else, and the dispensation ends in failure. And this one will end in failure, too. It's just an ironic thing. because I mean, we understand more. We can see it. We have more at our disposal. 
And you and I, we can see it in our own self. We still will not make the right decisions, even when given the opportunity, even though we have everything we need. We've got the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We've got the Son indwelling us. We've got the Father indwelling us. And you think, boy, we'd make a lot more right choices, right? We'd be able to see what God's will is. We could discern God's will. And uh, we don't always do it. And so notice believers are employed to do the will of God. Now notice uh, uh, the Apostle Paul was chosen for this purpose. But I want to go to Ephesians 1 and verse 18. So Paul writes in the first chapter of Ephesians as he's going through and he's um, talking about what God has done and how the believers were included in God's plan and purposes. <clears throat> and so notice what he, he does as he goes through and we'll pick it up at verse. Um, uh, pick it up at verse nine, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Uh, and so here's the mystery of his desirous will. And here's a mystery that he revealed that wasn't known before concerning what would happen in the dispensation of the fullness of times that the Christ or the church, the body of Christ will head up all things during that period, which was not known according to his good pleasure, which he has purpose in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in the Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, and whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh or really is energizing all things according to the counsel down from his desirous will. As I say, how I would translate that. Now notice that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ and whom also you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the uh, down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore I also, if I, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith and your love and in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers or really in worship. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and really, I would say, by a full experiential knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being in, in, enlightened or illuminated, that you might know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance uh, in, in and of the saints or in among the saints. This ideal is knowledge. You know, you know, that. They had this whole thing back in the day about the guy standing, the blind man standing next to the elephant. You ever seen that? And they ask him, what do, what do you, and he's filling on the elephant. And they're trying to find out, well, what do you see? And, uh, and you can see that in a spiritual sense with believers. There's a lot of believers who think that they see and they're blind as a bat. I mean, they say, oh, I, I see, I got this. I know exactly what's going on. But this knowledge here, so you have this graduation of information that is necessary to really obtain and to become all God desires of you in this dispensation. And it starts just with oida knowledge of just facts. So some people get those facts and then those facts, they become enthralled just in the facts themselves. And they never move past there. Just knowing the facts is just all they want to know. 
But now God brings experiences, and those facts then become experiential. And you come to understand. Have you ever saw something before and you knew the facts about it, but then you found yourself in a situation where you said, ah, bingo, that's what it is. The thing that you knew intuitively that you didn't understand until you were put in a situation where it made sense. But then you move on from there. And there's a full experiential knowledge you can have. And I really believe when the believer hits that spot, the ability to be able to understand what God is doing, how you fit into what God is doing, and what he's accomplishing. It's just a beautiful thing. And how many times, how many believers have a desire to reach that point? Now, I remember growing up, because I've been in church a lot. My father was a pastor for 43 years. I could not have imagined on the other side of it the depths of what God is doing as I understand it today. It's just so rich and so deep, and it just keeps going deeper and deeper until you have these people. I remember on The Matrix, and they were talking about The Matrix, and they were talking about the rabbit hole, you know, red pill, black pill, right? Well, most people choose the black pill. I don't want to know that much. (laughs) I just want to know the the basic knowledge I have. I don't want to go much farther than what I can. But, you know, when the believer is in the right place with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is able to take you and give and take you into an understanding that is just way beyond what you would ever comprehend that you would have you would see. And it's just a it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so you see this issue of the full experiential knowledge. Now, notice believers can know the will of God. Now, notice in Romans, the 12th chapter. And so <clears throat> this is a very um Um, popular verse in Romans chapter 12. And so uh, here you could see what Paul is saying, talking, and he's talking about uh, up to this point. um, He's dealing with the the believers here who had been been, um, driven more by um, the legal age. And so he's trying to encourage them to move from that. And so in verse one, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God or the tender mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your really it's your logical priestly service. That word reasonable, it really could be translated logical priestly service. It's the logical thing to do based upon what you know that Christ has done for you. I like the way Pastor Dave does an excellent job. When he was going through the will of God, he did an excellent job of illustrating this. So he says, you go to the store, you buy a product, you buy that product, and uh, you pay for it. Then you get ready to walk out the store, but the the, uh, cashier says, no, I'm not giving you the product. And you say, what? I bought it. It belongs to me. And he says, but I'm not giving it to you. You said, give me my product. He said, no, I'm not giving it to you. And you think, that's crazy, right? Where would you find it happening? Well, where would that happen? Well, that same kind of thing happens with, the, with a lot of believers. Because really, we were bought with a price. We don't belong to ourselves. We actually belong to God. 
the whole purpose of why we're here is for him and, and to do his will. But most believers are saying, no, I'm not doing it. And so the Lord says, well, I purchased you. He said, well, I'm not doing it. Right. And you would think that that was crazy if you were to look at a, a, a transaction. Right. You wouldn't think that that would be possible. But it's really the same thing. It's what believers are saying to the Lord who purchased us when we refuse to do his will. And so here I wanted to let me put this down in, in very basic terms here in this verse one. So what you're saying to God. And so here there's several um, sacrifices of the believer priest of giving faith and um, praise and such. And so we don't offer up physical sacrifices, it's not offered sacrifices that we offer up like Israel did. But do you know when you offer up these sacrifices that God desires that it's well pleasing to him? And one of the really the hardest ones for the believer to engage in is this one. Because particularly in the American culture, I think that we've been taught that our lives are our own. We have our personal life and then we have church and that's something I do on Sundays. I don't really do it <laughs> outside of that, right? And God doesn't really want anything from me from Monday through Saturday. He just wants me to go to church on Sunday. And that's the sum total of what a lot of believers see. And that's how they, they live. And so what God is really saying to the believer here, as you offer up your body a living sacrifice, you're saying, okay, I'm, I belong to you. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm yours. And do you know a lot of believers will not do that? They are scared to death to make that statement. And the reason they're scared to make that statement is they think that God, and I've heard the stories over the years, they think that God is going to make them do something that they don't like. Some of the stories that I've heard, Marry somebody that they don't really like, that they think might be ugly. <laughs> I've heard it. Go someplace that they don't want to go. That God is going to ask them to do something that they don't want to do. And they are fearful and most believers will never do this. And it's really a crucial thing because I think that if you do not offer your body a living sacrifice, it's going to hinder you in accomplishing the will of God. It really is. And so notice, and he says, and stop being conformed to this. There's not the word world there. It's actually the age. This the age. But be transformed by the renewedness of your minds. And so we don't have to sit up and say, I'm renewing my mind. I'm going to read scripture and I'm going to renew my mind. Your, back, your mind has already been renewed. And so the thing is, is as I live within the realm of that newness of my mind, as you see it in Ephesians um, uh, 4.23, be renewed by the spirit. And what is that spirit? Belonging to your mind. As I live there. I, will, I now have the ability to be able to discern God's will. I can see it. And that's a huge thing in, in beginning to discern God's will. And so people were running around saying, what is God's will? How do I know God's will? What are, but if I don't do this, 
everything else is going to be off the table. And so notice he says that you might be able to prove or put to the test for the purpose of approving what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So here you have it. I mean, it's, I, mean I'm, I didn't say it, but God's, God's saying it, that this is really something that's really important in being able to discern his will. So how can I discern his will if I don't do this? And then if I don't do this and I am not discerning his, his will, you, know, you ever ask yourself the question, then what am I doing? What am I doing in this life? And how am I making decisions? And what is the point of those decisions? And so a lot of people are just, more, more, they're going along like it's no big deal. But you know where it's going to really come down to the point where it's going to really make a difference, I believe, is when we get to the Bema Seat Judgment. That's where it's going to all ferret itself out. What did I do in this body, and what was my motivation for what I did while I was in this body? And that's where it's, all, it's going to all be ferreted out. Let me just show you a scripture here uh, in Second Corinthians. It's interesting. I just love Paul's motivation here. Notice what he says here in 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, verse 6, Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Um, Wherefore, we labor, or really we could say we are desirously devoted to the cause, that whether present or absent, we may be acceptable, or really it's well or good-pleasing or well-pleasing toward him. And notice why he says this. You have an explanatory gar here. Isn't that what you're going to be talking about, Don, on Saturday? The fours? <laughs> yeah, here you go. If it's, if it's Gar. Yeah, it's Gar right here. So you have four. So the importance. He's really explaining why he said this. But why, why his motivation was what it was. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat there is uh, the word Bema. Is a, uses a place of uh, award, awarding crowns in the uh, Greek games. That everyone may receive the things done. Now notice, he's not talking, and you'll see it in 1 Corinthians 3, and we'll see this more as we go forward in the next couple of weeks. He's not talking about the believer's judgment, because that's already been taken care of. But it's the works that we did while we were in these bodies. That's the question. So before we're presented to the Father, these things have all got to be ferreted out. Now, I think it's going to happen right after the rapture. And, and he says in 1 Thessalonians that we are going, are going to go into a meeting with the Lord in the air. So I think it's going to happen right after the rapture. That this is going to take place. 
And he says that everyone might receive the things done in his body according to what he has done. Now, really, it's interesting that the word that he does, that he uses here is the word done. The word done there is actually the word praxis. What he has practiced. The idea of practice here is it represents the idea of con- continuity. It's something you did continually. Right. It was something you were continually doing. It was a, a habit of what you did. Uh, and so what he has done, notice what he says here, according to what he has done, whether it be good, uh, agathos, and then you have a, a, a variant here, or evil. The question is whether it's phalon, which is good for nothing, or whether it's what, what was just lacking in character. I think there's enough evidence to say that it's, it's worthless. It's phalon. A lot of things that believers are doing, and it's just worthless. You know, how many times when you're, you had, you who had kids, when your kids were little, your kids would come up to you and you, and they were so happy that they did something that you didn't tell them to do, and they bring it up to you and you say, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> but it wasn't what you asked and what you wanted. Right? And there's a lot of things that we're doing in these bodies. Man, I, I don't know. God knows. I could think of a lot of them that Again, stand back. I just think they're just going to go up in a blaze of glory. Poof! (laughs) I think it's going to go up in a blaze of glory. Worthless. That people on a daily basis are saying, I'm doing it for God. This is what I'm doing for God. And they're convinced of it. And it's just going to be interesting to see. I don't know. God knows. And so notice in... um, at the, uh, let's see, let's look at one more. Then we'll have time for questions right after this. Ephesians 5 and verse 17. Now, this is really fascinating. And so uh, our chart that we put up here for tonight is, uh, and it's in your, your uh, booklet, doing the will of God and being able to put together the will of God. And this is uh, verse, uh, Ephesians five seventeen. Being able to put together the will of God. Here you have the decree of God, doing the revealed will of God. So here the, the main thing is the believer doing from Scripture what you know the revealed will of God is. Then putting to the test, uh, uh, excuse me, proving God's will by uh, offering your body a living sacrifice. Putting together the will of God. Notice in Ephesians 5, this is a really interesting Scripture here. And so he says here in verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, or really circumspectly would be accurately, according to a proper standard. And so when you think about walking, think about the fact of the different decisions you're making in life. So you have the conversation, which is your habit of life. Walking is dealing more with specific situations. See that you walk accurately, not as fools, and the word fools there is, the, is um, actually um, it's, uh, unwise ones, uh, but wise. Redeeming the time or buying out, purchasing out for yourself the time because the days are evil. And wherefore, be ye not unwise. Um, and it, that's a different word for, for uh, uh, the word unwise. There's uh, ones who are not. Uh, uh, framing their minds in the right way, but 
understanding what the will of the Lord is. You be understanding what the will of the Lord is. And so this understanding will we'll stop on this, but I'll give you a little insight into it. And it's I, the word uh, soon, idos, and the idea of putting together. You be putting together what the will of the Lord is. And we'll stop right here and we'll come back at this because it's at this point, because it's a really in- interesting point that the believer has the ability to be able to do that. And we'll talk about it next time when we come. If the rapture doesn't occur, then it won't really matter, will it? <laughs> no, the will of the Lord will reach fruition. 